0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: Welcome to the Drivers' Meeting Podcast, presented by Bet Online. And welcome back to the driver's meeting podcast presented by bet online. The month of June is heating up with a ton of exciting sports action and bet online is exactly where you can find it from the NBA finals, Stanley cup finals, which has just begun and also baseball's marquee matchups, including prep bots and futures BetOnline has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. So visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before your next tip-off, face-off, or pitch, head to BetOnline and start playing today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook expert. So I'm very excited going into this weekend at Road America. Cup Series, new track for them. But as for the Xfinity Series, they've been there before. And we got two great drivers in this Podcast room we got here, one being Tommy Joe, one being our guest today, Ryan Ellis. Are you looking forward to Run America this weekend? Just hoping we can put in the show and run some laps. But yes, I am absolutely. I love that track. Exactly, qualifying is going to be the name of the game. Practice and qualifying. We always talk about the owners' points. Shuffle on here. So, I mean, from your, do you have any, from your past road America road or just road course experience in general? I mean, how confident are you and yourself and the team? And you got some, you know, I'd say decent teammates this weekend and Kevin Harvick and Andy Lally to lean on. So I think that's going to go.
2: I don't know. I wish I had the same package that Kevin's probably going to have, but uh, yeah, I uh, will be, uh, we'll be pretty good. Uh, it's hard to say. Tommy knows. Like, I feel like Coda was an anomaly for a lot of people Um, I don't know why I really don't but I felt like a lot of the road course guys couldn't really over outperform their equipment Uh, Mid-Ohio was kind of more of what we're used to and then hopefully Road America is kind of kind of like Mid-Ohio was it's so hard though in the underfunded stuff to really make time on sticker tires at least in my opinion I don't know how you feel Tommy Um, like I don't feel like I feel like we're like a 37th place car like laps one, two, and three. And then after that, we're like a 17th place car. It's just so weird.
0: Yeah, it, it does feel like that's where the gap shows up the most. Is it the front part of a run? Uh, and mid-Ohio, really as technical and as tight as that place is. And look, I didn't get to run a lot of laps there this year. My motor blew up on like lap seven. What user error? Or no, I never had. <laughs> no, that was not user error. Uh, I would love to take credit for uh, for that thing blowing up, Uh, but unfortunately, it wound up being a much bigger ordeal uh, than just me missing a shift or something. Uh, But yeah, like when we go to a place like Road America, you and I have commiserated about this before, where Mm -hmm. the tire wear there is so over the top Mm -hmm. uh, to the point that your breaking markers change uh, on old tires. Uh, you can't even get into the corner. Forget center of the corner rolling speed. You can't even break in the same place. Uh, the tires fall off so much. So in a weird way, when we start talking about owner's points and having to qualify in, you know, Ryan, obviously, I, my number is a little bit higher in the points right now. I still don't feel super comfortable about it with 43 cars showing up. Yeah. I'm approaching it like it's kind of like one lap. Is what you got in qualified, almost like Homestead when we go there? Like, good comparison or oh, lap shot. Is, is that how you're looking at it?
2: Yeah. And what sucks, um, as you know, is if you blow that lap by the time you get back to the pitch and you're kind of looking at it, if you want to make another lap, you got to like decide with seven minutes left. And then, but like, even if you run that lap, then three minutes later, somebody else is going to put a lap down. So you really have to make the most of your time. And I know we all talk about it, but. I don't think people that aren't at the track realize how much of a cluster it is to just make a lap at a road course. Cause as you said, everybody's trying to save their tires. So there's literally guys going a quarter speed all the way around a three mile track or whatever it is um, on their out laps and on their cool down laps. It's like an absolute mess. And you're dodging like pylons out there, whether they're top cars or bottom cars, there's just people on both sides of the track and it's, I don't know. It's all about getting there early, getting out there early and just putting a lap down and then just sitting there and watching for the rest of it, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, Uh, and we're approaching it the exact same way. And I think Ryan brings up a really good point there about traffic playing a factor in this. Just catching a guy on the entry to the carousel uh, in the wrong spot uh, where they they go one way and you thought they were going to go another way. uh, Catching him right at the entry of the kink. Uh, which is a real high speed area there. There are spots on this racetrack where you could catch somebody in a wrong spot and cost yourself three seconds, mm-hmm. blow an entire lap. And like that is gonna happen to somebody. I mean, I hope it doesn't happen to me, but it's definitely gonna happen to to a competitive car.
2: And if somebody goes off, that could kill 10 minutes of clock. I know at Coda they they stopped the clock, which really frustrated me because I was just wanting to end yeah. it. Um that was like the most fun qualifying session I've ever had, though, I think, and stressful at the same time. I don't know about you.
0: Oh, it was terrible. I hated it. <laughs> well, you were <laughs> locked in. So pretty I, much and right. I was, and I wound up taking a revisional. But for me. Oh, yeah. Thank you. At Coda, mm-hmm. Yeah. You, and, and, you, and I, I told you know, right after this, because cool. Ryan here qualified 31st, and I was like 32nd. Yep. I was the first one out.
2: If you qualified and, 31st, I'd been out.
0: Yeah, and so I told Ryan afterwards, I said, you know, if there's somebody who's going to bump me out, I was happy that it was him. Uh, But but at the beginning of that session, I went out. It was the first time in the wet on that track. Obviously, we had practiced the day before. We were 19th in practice. Felt really good about our pace. But we hadn't gone out in in any kind of wet conditions. I didn't know what the break markers were going to be. And so I went out and, and did like a lap and was like, yeah, you know, that was an, you know, conservative lap. And they were like, oh yeah, you're like 12th. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then at the end of the session, it was raining harder. Yeah. And I went, oh, well that lap's probably going to be fine then. And they were like, no, you're like 35th. And I was like, what? It was so, for me. Yeah. It was so weird the way, the way that it all played out. I think just everybody was getting more comfortable with the rain, and even though it was probably raining a little harder at the end of it, everybody was just getting more comfortable with the pace.
2: Turn one braking didn't change at all, which was crazy <laughs> to me.
0: Yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> That's why I would have never thought I would have got to the same markers in the wet that I was in the dry. And that just kind of tells you probably how far off pace you were going down the straightaway compared, compared to where you were like in the dry, right?
1: Yeah, that is true. I didn't look at
0: it that way. And I then the race was I completely heard. dry.
1: was that and then the race was dry
0: yeah and then the race race is dry. dry yeah just just one of the weirder one of the weirder setups uh ever and we've had a couple of those um you know really we think about charlotte uh which ryan i know you weren't running that race but like man the track changed probably a second from the first guy on the track to the last guy on the track and and it's like I mean, you got guys that are going or going home because of that. Like Chad Fincham, first car off off pit road gets in on time. Uh, Justin Allgaier was towards the back of the field. He he qualified a, a hundredth in front of me, and I was like twenty seventh. And I'll really? tell you, yeah, and and like I'll tell you, I ran a terrible qualifying lap, terrible, and was still twenty eighth on the board or whatever. And it's just because I went out early, and so like it's like dirt track yeah, it's crazy. And it's like, this is what's sending people home or not. And what we're really talking about, everybody, is the importance of having a provisional in your back pocket, which is something that, Ryan, over the course of your career, you just really haven't had it a whole lot.
2: No. Um, yeah, I really haven't. Um, and it's, it's stressful, but I, why don't we run 40 I really don't know. You're you're an owner like why why do they drop it to 36? Is that- Yeah,
0: see, this is a situation where I would agree with you that we the 36 thing just should should have got thrown out the window, right? Okay. So we've talked about it on the pod a lot. Okay. The 36 that are in the race are getting the quote unquote full paycheck. Yeah. The final four cars are only getting $4500. But what you and I know is that like kind of screw it. Like at at that point, if you're already showing up and trying to race, like you've already scheduled a pit crew, you've already bought the tires, you've already, you've already done all of the things. And then you get sent home. Well, it's like, well, I've already kind of committed. I'm already here. (laughs) Like I already, I already still got to pay everybody. At least I can, at least then run the race. And now the sponsor is not mad. At least I'm getting something for my effort. And for these teams that are full-time teams specifically, Josh Williams at Coda. It's, it's a chance for them to gain points, right? Like Josh got zero points that day. When you're right, if we had started 40, he would have had ch- a chance to earn points. So I'm with you. Like, I, I think the starting 36 lockout thing that we're doing here, it, it, when you got 43 cars showing up, why, would, why wouldn't why you just let 40 of them race? Yeah, it's better for the show. It's better for the show. It's better for everybody. Like, yeah, you're technically taking $500 out of my purse for the race. But I would tell you that I would feel much better about it from a security standpoint. I think everybody 21st and back.
2: You'd probably pay the $500 just not to be stressed about it.
0: Absolutely. I think everybody 21st and back would probably pay that money. So then you're looking at probably a split field when it comes to the opinion, right? Like. Yeah, the top as, two, it, as silly as this sounds, right? Like the guys in the top ten would still fight you over the five hundred dollars, which is which is ridiculous. I mean, we're talking about teams with a five million dollar budget; they're going to fight you over five hundred bucks. But when you're that high in the points, obviously you can take that kind of opinion, and and that's what we're arguing about. It's it's a it's really a thirty six car field based on what the rules were going into the year as every race was theoretically going to be a 36-car field. Now, I will tell you, as an owner and as really just a fan, I think the fact that we have 40 cars showing up every week is a great thing for the series. That's really good. And at the same time, I understand that we really didn't plan on paying 40 cars. We planned on paying 36. So the compromise here was to give them just a little – Show up money, basically, which is, as we know, really not much. It barely pays for a couple sets of tires, but it is at least something for showing up. And more than anything, it's the opportunity to gain points in the race, which RJ, you and I on the pod talked a lot about the 31 car getting into that top 40 getting into that position where when we go to no qualifying, they would be locked in. And now you see what they've done over the few races when they have been locked in, like Pocono scored another top 10, big point state for them. And they're going to keep trying to kind of climb their way back up into that top 36.
2: Well, they exposed a loophole. Is it a locked in driver or locked in car? If you want to race or both.
0: Yeah. So at the time they announced Josh Berry as the driver for mid Ohio. Now at the time, when they announced it, it was pre-Charlotte. And they basically were planning on going to mid-Ohio with Josh Berry regardless. Like, even if they had a bad day at Charlotte, yeah. they would have exposed that loophole that Josh had won a race, and therefore they would wind up getting that last spot. But it wound up that they wound up doing good enough at Charlotte. They got into the top 40 in points without having to really even need the loophole. Like, they, they jumped what was the 13-car uh by a few points and, and kind of got in there anyway
2: Was ty gibbs locked in this weekend i look like i'm just like doing
0: my research on the pod yeah so this he's is I mean, but this is like a, an interesting thing right so ty has won a race he's getting in the 81 car yeah so theoretically yes he would get one of those provisionals he would be the first one to get a provisional in those five open spots but
1: you're going to qualify in anyhow it's just it's just a
0: weird question
1: yeah yeah so yeah he would get in and then those go or go homes we always talk about these owner point shuffles we got josh balicki this week in the 07 that's the first go or go home car in the 37th position owner points and those are the cars behind 36th and you have preston partis you know p money is in the 90 this week uh, they're 38th in the owner's points. You have Bailey Curry, the 74th, 39th, Gray Galding, 52, Sarah, and 40th. Steven Light has done pretty well in road races. He's in the 13, who is outside the top 40, who needs to point their way in or wants to point their way into the top 40 for the races where they could be excluded, which they have been uh, because of the 31, which is pointed in the 31. I mean, they're already up to 33rd in owner's points. I mean, they've surpassed. Basically, they, they got a provisional ahead of Kevin Harvick this week, who's in the 99 who's 34th and Mr. Ryan Ellis, you have your 27th and the owner's yeah. points to 78. The Jesse little's done a solid job this season He's kept you guys right around there. So that's good. Uh, and then your teammate, Andy Lally's and the 30th owner's points position and the five. So yeah, those go or go homes is really what we're focusing on. And then the provisionals on, um, you know, in order, you know, Tommy Joe's got a good one up there. He's 22nd in owner's points. And Jeffrey Earnhardt's been a guy that's been really stuck in that, uh, for a few weeks. He's 35th. He's not a part of the go-or-go homes, but when they use the provisionals, when people use the provisionals, he's basically stuck in that. Well, you know, I'm going home. They send him home. So hopefully, you know, he can make the race, uh, this weekend, but yeah, those go-or-go homes, Ty Gibbs, like you said, is locked in the race. Cause you want to race Timmy Hills in that 42 this week. Uh, which was only entered once and then DNQ'd uh, at Nashville. Uh, Stephen Light, Greg Galding, Bailey Curry, Preston Partis, Josh Balicki, all the go-or-go homes. So we know that we can take likely two of those, at least, Josh Balicki and Preston Partis P Money, um, that they will probably qualify their way into the not? show.
0: Uh, maybe. We know, uh, maybe. Look, we're, we're talking about a really deep field here, RJ. Very deep. This is a really deep field. Um. And really, only, there's only 31 that are going to make it on time. Mm-hmm. So everybody knows you got to beat 12 to really lock your way into this. And, you know, there's some people that you would immediately look at and go, oh, well, they're probably not going to make it. There's not a lot of gimmies yeah, in the right. field here. Uh, you could maybe make the case against a few guys and forgive me here because I'm not picking on anybody. But this is like out of their own mouth, not road course specialists. So sure. <laughs> you, you could probably say, you know, uh, you know, a guy like uh, over, over there for JD Motorsports. Um, I'm, I keep wanting to say Bailey Curry. He's actually done a really good job on road courses, but, that, but that's not who I'm talking about. Uh, Colby Howard, Jeff Colby, or... yeah. Colby Howard, Colby Howard has has said, like, you know, this really isn't my big thing. Now, Kobe Howard got in on time at CODA. okay. So And that's a guy that's saying, like, uh, I'm not that good at that. So you're like, oh, well, that's a gimme. Nah, is it? I mean, he got in on time. 52 <laughs> the- is really fast. Gray Golding, the car has struggled, admittedly. We know that Gray is a good driver.
2: Exactly, yeah, yeah.
0: Greg can hustle one around there. I raced the heck out of him. One of the last times we ran up there at road America. So, you know, I don't look it's at this run at much speed, right? Really. It, it, so it's just, there are no gimmies in the field. You know, that you've got to go out there and run a good quality lap. Do you else have a can mess that up? Yeah,
1: exactly. That's what, just like Ryan was saying, someone Monitors. else can just, there could be someone up in the carousel and messes up your lap and you only get, I mean, the track's so big, You're really only going to get one lap. Is it four miles? I think it's like four, right?
0: Yeah, it's a four-mile racetrack. It's over a two-minute lap around this place. So all it takes is one mistake in one corner, and that can be the difference in you going uh, to line up on the grid or going home. And and that is kind of a crazy proposition. And really the only people that feel comfortable showing up out there are the guys in the top ten. And like Ty Gibbs, who's won a race. And that's, yeah, that's about it. I, if
2: I were you, I'd feel pretty confident, but not a hundred percent.
0: Well, like, I look at who's in front of me immediately and just go, oh God, where can this go wrong? Right. Yeah, so, you're talking,
2: Joe, you got to do that.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's just who I am. So <laughs> like, I look at me in, in front of us and I go, Landon Castle, I think he's one of the best qualifiers in NASCAR. On a road course, are they going to necessarily put the best foot forward for him? Probably not, right? So could he miss? All right, well, there's one. We already know that there could be a couple taken in front of me, like Ryan Sieg, really a a good driver, really competitive. On a road course, is this his specialty? Could he potentially make a mistake? Yeah. So I can go down the list in front of me and start start getting work. Chris Wright is actually probably better on road courses and more comfortable there than he is on ovals. Could he make a mistake? He still doesn't have a whole lot of experience. Yes, he absolutely could. So I'm looking at him like, oh, crap, there's like two or three right there in front of me. Uh, and now all of a sudden that tiebreaker, which we're literally in a tiebreaker with the 26 car, right. I'm like, you got to be kidding me because you finished eighth at Daytona and I finished 11th at Talladega. That could be the difference, right? So, that's how I approach this. It's like, I know I got to get in the top 31 and let whoever takes a provisional take it.
2: We're tied with the 66. So it's pretty
0: even across the board. Right. Yeah. And, and you're showing up and this is 27th in points and you're looking at it like go or go home period. Oh, you have to. Yeah. Yeah. I don't,
2: I don't see any way we get a provisional. Like I don't see any way it happens. I mean, but, just basing it off of what happened to Coda with Josh Williams going home. Yeah. Like, He's
0: 22nd in points, I think, at the time. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I don't think five cars are going to happen differently here. And there's more cars here, right? There are only 42 at Coda, I believe.
0: Yeah. 43 this time. And and a fifth Gibbs car. So, yeah. Yeah. So, by the way, I know the pod has just turned into me and Ryan complaining. Yeah, (laughs) It's it's really not. It's just we're kind of letting you guys into a little bit of the, the psyche of drivers here that are not. Looking at this like it's a guaranteed gimme. Like, yeah, Ryan's right. Theoretically, on paper, should I get one of the five provisional spots? Yes. I should. I I should. Right? Like, should I just be freaking out about this? No. But at the same time, weirder things have happened. Like Ryan talked about at CODA, the lowest provisional was like 20th in points. Yeah.
1: Michael and I had to use one.
0: Yeah. Michael and Ned had to use provisional fourth yeah so yeah weird stuff happens in these types of things and the mentality there and really to me more than anything we're talking about the track and the approach because if this was Watkins Glen you could go make three runs at this and it wouldn't be that big of a deal in 25 minutes, you can make three runs. You could cool it down, make three runs. You're not even that worried about your tires. It's going to be fine. No. At this racetrack at Road America, with the tire that Goodyear is bringing, it is a very soft tire and it wears out very quickly. We're talking about over the course of three laps, you could see almost a three to four second fall off in the tire. And, and it was a second on your outlap. Yeah, you lose a second just going from pit road back to the start-finish slide. So you're literally talking about something that could swing the difference in you making it or not. You could run a way better second lap and it not show up on the stopwatch. Yep, and the every single driver knows that when they go out there. They really only have one shot at this.
2: And if somebody calls a caution while you're on your hot lap and botches your fast
1: lap and kills your tires, game over. Yeah. I'm inside your control. That is true. You're not in control of everything during qualifying. So, yeah, that's crazy. And you got guys and, like. And by the
0: way, how much more likely is that to happen yeah. when everybody knows they're in a go-or-go-home situation?
2: Yep. Yeah, very likely, yeah.
1: It's true. And you got Boris said you're going against and Andy Lally and Kevin Arvik and Malicki. And, yeah, very, very deep field. So, yeah.
0: Wisconsin boy,
1: Josh Malicki. Josh Palicki. Yeah, he was leading laps last year. He was fighting for the lead with Preston Pardis. So this
0: is something that we're going to kind of divert the conversation a little bit here with my buddy, Ryan. So, Ryan, you've run these for a long time. I mean, you've been out here racing for as long as I have, really. 2014, yeah. you and I were basically doing start parks together out there in the x series. Is this the most competitive the series has ever been?
2: I think so because like you look at remember TMG back in the day um I don't know what I'd even equate them to equipment wise but uh they were like top 15 a lot of the time um back in those days and I don't know about the last couple years because I just wasn't a part of it but I mean like I remember my goal going into Road America the past couple years was like top 12 but I, I mean I guess it's pretty similar to this year but um, the middle part of the field has gotten way more competitive. Um, like TriStar back in the day, and JD would fight for top 15s every week, and that's just not happening anymore.
0: I yeah, know, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I would say the same thing. I don't think necessarily the gap from the front of the field to the back of the field has, you know, like Mike Harmon's not going to go win the race. All right, we're not we're not going crazy here. But what I will say is that gap from 15th to 40th has now become a lot tighter. Uh, that, that, that gap is not three different races going on. It's really, you got a race from first to 15th and you got another race from like 16th to 40th. <laughs> and you could have it a bad day and run 33rd. And like, I'll admit, I mean, there were times last year where I just didn't feel that way. I, I mean, I felt like, you know what? If we miss a little bit, we're still going to be about 23rd, right? Yeah. That's not happening this year. Like, when we miss, we're 30th. Like, we're we're struggling at times. So, I think the depth of the field has really gotten a lot better.
2: And even with, like, Obica racing, I'm not trying to pick on any of these, but, like, with Obica, and I'm not trying to compare these two either, but Rick Ware, like, we would run lap times that would feel like they're in the top 15, like, every lap. If I if Obica restarted his team right now the exact same way, it'd be a 35th place team, I think, or a 30th place team. It just, like, you wouldn't have that gap where you have a good day, like you said, and you'd be 15. You'd have a good day now and be 24th, especially see, like a track like Road America now.
0: Yeah, and, and the quality of drivers, like, I'm going to say this too. Far better. Way deeper field mm-hmm. than we have dealt with before. Um, and really, it's because, like, when Ryan and I were first doing this, a lot of the guys – that are still in the Xfinity series were just a lot younger. (laughs) Like really the faces haven't changed a whole lot. It's just now all of a sudden they've got five, six years of experience. Like I think about Alex LeBay. Yeah. He won the Pinty series championship in 2017. He's been in the Xfinity series for four years. Now this is fourth year. Josh Williams has been doing this for five years in the Xfinity series. so these were guys that like, we didn't necessarily consider they they don't come off the top of your head as veterans. That's who's that's who you're running against. And you're like, Oh, they're not a road course specialist. Like with Josh. Well, he just finished like 10th at mid Ohio. (laughs) Jeremy Clements wasn't a road course specialist and he won. So (laughs) he won a race. So I think just the overall health depth of the field, Ryan Sieg has been out here now for seven years running competitively. So, the depth of the field there, the the quality of drivers that you're racing against, um, you know, BJ McLeod this week, like I can laugh out loud because I've been a part of the team. Would you say that you were the worst driver on the team? <laughs> no, no, but yes. No, but like, I mean, yeah,
2: like. I don't, I don't even know what to Your say. Your
0: teammates this weekend are Andy Lally and Kevin Harvick, by the way.
2: I know, right? I, I don't even know what to say to that. I mean, yeah, <laughs> as we both know, Harvick is a teammate, but I'm not allowed in that holler, probably. Uh, <laughs> yeah, me and Lally, I literally wasn't allowed in that holler. I don't think, at Coda. Um, but I love Lally. He's like one of my, my favorite people in the world. He's so cool. Um, and you know the things he does? like, uh, bouging oh. MMA, like,
0: yeah. Like, yeah, skateboarding, yeah. yeah, skateboarder. I'm like, he's he the world's cool. most interesting man. Yeah. Yeah. He's cooler at 40, whatever he
2: is. And I am at 31. Yeah. He's Hopefully a future, fan. uh, Fox broadcaster.
1: You think so? Oh yeah. I Cause he did that at, um, Charlotte, Charlotte. He did so Coda? good. He did, he did the truck Coda race. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And he was what's just, everybody loved the thing him. Now
2: the truck field is ridiculous. I used to take the FDNY truck, and we'd finish, like, 18th every freaking week. Who's finishing 18th right
0: now in the truck series? Like, Thor Sport? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, exactly. like, Nice is finishing 18th. Yeah,
2: and they could yeah. win races four or five years ago. Yeah. I mean, they won a championship, didn't they?
0: Uh, came close. They got to the Final Four. Yeah. yeah so, I think close. that's what we're – when we talk about the overall health of the sport, this is why NASCAR – We'll take the approach that like, well, we must be doing something right because it looks like the depth of the field at these bottom levels, the Xfinity series, the truck series has really gotten better. And I I think what we're talking about really here is a freeze on development. Like we're not developing a lot of crazy new stuff for these chassis, for these cars. We're kind of entering a dead period for the trucks. They did the spec motor for the truck series, which clearly has helped a ton with the car count down there and has allowed people to run a motor for a lot longer, expand the number of races they were going to do with a lot less cost. And that's a good thing. And the Xfinity series, a lot of the hand-me-down cup stuff that would be out of date in a year or two really has stayed pretty consistent here for the last five or six years with the body and what we've done. And it's, it's really worked out. And you've seen these teams get better. You've seen uh, the competitiveness uh, of those teams get better. And it's opened up some opportunities for drivers like Ryan to come in with experience and know that like, yeah, I might be on a quote unquote 28th, 30th place team, but they know that if they get in the car, it still has potential for a top 15 type of day.
2: Yeah, it's uh, – you really have to adjust, though. Like, if I if you told me I was going to qualify 31st at Coda a few years ago or, like, any road course, I would have been so angry. But Like, I was about in tears when I qualified 31st just to make the race at that point, but I don't even know what to expect at Road America. I was looking at past qualifying, and I was, like, 21st, so I'm, like, plus six or seven cup teams. Does that mean I should expect to qualify 28th? Not really, because, as you said – there's our motorsports now um i mean obviously i don't think natalie's going to be up there just lack of experience and all that stuff but i mean lfr leaf filter way better now um so i don't know that that put me like 31st that put me, put me right in the bubble and that's like just qualifying like i would have a few years ago in the same exact equipment
0: yes
1: it's insane
0: yeah like we we have looked at it in the case of martin's motorsports that if we weren't we had to get a lot better to run the same. And I feel like we're in the same position <laughs> that we were last year in the points. We're 22nd. We finished the last year, 21st in the, in the owner standings. We'd like to shoot for that top 20 this year, but really we know we have gotten a lot better. <laughs> like yeah. our cars have gotten better. Our people have gotten better. Like I feel like I'm better as a drug and we're running the exact same. And you just go, Dang, that means the field has just gotten that much tougher this year. So I'm really impressed by it.
2: Yeah, I know. And like, not to like switch gears to the Cup Series, but I've noticed that Spire with Corey, they've done a phenomenal job of picking up the pace. Like, I cannot believe how much speed they've gained. I don't know how, like, my brain came to that, but watching them the past couple weeks, I have no idea how they found that much speed.
0: Yeah. And in the middle of the year, clearly something over there really shifted because Corey at the beginning of the year and RJ, I think I talked about this on the pod for everybody that's listened for as long as this. First of all, thank you for (laughs) listening to our incessant rambling for the last six months. But Corey talked to me when we were at Coda for a WRL race in the winter uh, over there. We're just some sports cars just having a little fun. And I asked him point blank. I just said, Corey is this legit or are you guys basically just going to kind of be the same <laughs> like as you were last year? And he said, no, this is legit. And they got off to kind of a tough start. And I was like, okay, well, he was, you know, I, I get it. Like he, what's he supposed to say yeah. to me, right? And now I'm looking at it going, well, maybe he was right. Cause it looks like they're consistently performing in the top 20 of these races And that is really, really impressive.
2: I don't realize how hard that is. And thats I I think that's pretty similar to when Matt joined GoFast. Because if you remember, before Matt joined GoFast, they were running back there with the premium cars. And it was bad. Like They were barely making it to the racetrack. And if anybody else showed up, they'd probably get sent home. Um, But they invested a lot of money. They invested in the cars, the people. And they expanded that program. Obviously, I saw it all firsthand, but I didn't think Spire was going to do that. Just like you. I was like, I don't know, man. I think you're just, you kind of bought into the wrong stuff there. And uh, I mean, good for him. Good for everybody there. Ryan Sparks, I'm good friends of a lot of people at that race team. And it's crazy because they're racing with JTG and all those teams that are spending way more money than them, I assume.
0: Yeah. Yeah, So Ryan, for for everybody here on the pod, uh, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you probably at least know who Ryan Ellis is. But I want to talk back on kind of the last couple of years of your life where you essentially made the decision, and it's something that I have now been kind of public about, which is that you said, as a race car driver, it's really tough for me to make a living just doing that. And you made the decision to go into the PR side of things with Matt, with the Go Fast group, and kind of stepped out of the seat. You, You took your chances when you could get them, but for the most part, you kind of stepped aside for the last few years, how tough was that? And talk about how the team worked with you to let you have those opportunities on the off weekends.
2: So like the first year, absolutely sucked emotionally. Like I was always like, Oh, you know, I'm good. Like, it's like, it sucked, especially because like people didn't realize that me and Corey were fighting for the ride at BK. Well, I guess the last two years, me and Corey were fighting for the ride at BK racing the last year when Corey actually got the, got the deal and it all worked out. Um, So like to sit there over the last two years too, with somebody that like I saw as kind of an equal, obviously going into that, um, was tough as well, but, um, I was able to, I had to, I could not race on any cup race weekend, which is literally like every single week. Um, and if it's not, then it's probably Easter and nobody's racing. Um, but road American Iowa usually landed on off weekends for the cup series. And, uh, I was able to do that one year. I think it was 2018. I did Daytona because I blamed it on the wedding. I said I needed money for the wedding. Um, so Mason and Archie let me run that one. Um I think I only ran those three or four races in four years. Um mm-hmm. so that it was tough. Um it was also tough because that year 2016, I was offered a full-time deal in the Cup Series, but it was with uh Obica and I had a feeling that it wasn't gonna work out, obviously. But just to hear the words like, hey, like we want you full time, contract, everything, and then like in the cup series, something you've worked for your whole freaking life, and to turn it down for a PR job, like I felt like the biggest idiot, dude. That was like the toughest period of my life. Uh, it was like two or three months of me just like wanting to like go into a freaking hole because I just literally turned down my dream job for a PR job. But it, it ended up working out, obviously. Um, worked there for four years and I worked at a marketing company um, after go fast sold. And then I worked at CBDMD until yesterday at five o'clock <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, quit that job. And um off to a, uh, a remote marketing job out of Atlanta. So that will let me race more um, going into next year. And I don't know, like it didn't beat me up as much over the last couple of years, not racing. Um, but I just don't like, I don't know. Cause I, you see so many talented drivers that just never make it and you see them struggle and you see them do all of the right things. And you're like, it's impossible. Like it's not necessarily impossible. Cause you see guys like Matt or Larson that, that make careers out of it, but you see so many guys that did everything right and got nowhere. So I was like, well, I don't want to keep digging at this. And then like, eventually, you know, if I have kids, which I have a kid coming in two months, then I have nothing left for him. So I wanted to build something and build some kind of sustainability, build a resume, um, and then eventually go back into racing. And hopefully with some of my partners I have now, I can build into something next year. I think we're going to have – probably breaking news on this, but, like, I think we have enough money to run 10, 15, 20 races next year, if not close to a full season. And as you know, that's market-driven. That's not – I have X amount of dollars. I know what I have. But if everybody in the world has more than me, I have nothing. But if I have more than everybody else, just based off of the market of the Xfinity series or wherever we take it, then I'm full time. Um, so that was a weird ramble I had there. But it could go for me not running for three and a half, four years other than three races to me being close to full time next year.
0: Was <laughs> that is that best case scenario for you, Ryan? Like, Would you say, all right, if I said, all right, forget the money for a minute. We know realistically, money-wise, probably going to be somewhere on a smaller team. That's just where we've been in our entire careers. If I could lay a schedule out for you and say, where would you want to be? Truck Series, Xfinity Series, how many races? Where would you want to run? What does this look like for you who's about to be a dad and and you're kind of weighing all this? What's the perfect world for Ryan Ellis?
2: Matt Crafton's (laughs) deal. Yeah, okay. I know, seriously, right? like hey you run the truck series forever in a championship contending truck and do that no but
0: if you say that like with the idea of fewer weeks on the road you're only yeah. going to be about 20 weeks versus 33 37
2: yeah I'm, i would never go full kyle larson i would never run 200 races a year i'd love to do like 60 um but i'd, I'd still love to be full-time xfinity the the difference is obviously this year it's so much easier flying in and out um I don't know how you feel about that personally but for like working and racing at the same time and using PTO to go drive race cars it's made my life a lot easier um but I'd love to be full-time Xfinity you know um I think the sponsor I have and like kind of the budget that they're looking at is going to be something like a JD or BJ like that kind of deal it's never going to be like hey, let's blow it all at Gibbs for two races. Right. Uh, be sweet. But,
0: um, yeah, yeah I, they're, I, they're, I feel they're looking like, at more
2: longevity, yeah.
0: More, but also more value for just being out there races-wise, right? So, yeah. Some sponsors look at it like, all right, I want to go win the race one time. Branding, yeah. And some sponsors look at it and go, really, I just want to be a part of the race ten times. Yeah. And that's very different budgets, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely, because – a sponsor like corvette parts could probably do 15 or 20 races and they can bring guests to 15 or 20 races right. or you could go blow it all at Gibbs rcr colleagues something like that and you'd have two races and you just bank on the motor not blowing or somebody not right hooking you into the fence um yeah. it's such a hard discussion as a driver i think i don't know how you feel i pick the two gibbs races all day but I don't make the choices obviously on that, um, you know, 15 or 20 races. At the end of the day, if you can run races that, you know, you can contend in like road courses and super speedway, short tracks, that's still awesome to me. But going back to your question, I, I, I'd, I'd love to be full-time Xfinity. I think I could do both. I literally wouldn't quit my job. I'm not just saying that because they might listen to this, but I would try to just work full-time and still race on the weekends. Cause if I left the professional world and just the first chance I could, I'm never getting another job again. <laughs> so right. I need to keep that going.
0: And that's something that that I did last year uh, before moving over here this year, working for the team full-time. I was over at uh, Ron Fellows Performance Robin School. I was I'm there for going there. six years. It's great. Yeah, Ryan and I it's had, awesome we had serious discussions about Ryan coming out there working with us. So yeah. it was a great job that allowed me that flexibility. But But what we're really talking about here, guys, and this is something that has, Oddly become controversial, RJ, is that a lot of drivers aren't making any money. They're not making any money. This is really expensive, what we do. The teams are operating at a deficit. They're not making a lot of money. So the way that they pay for racing is with drivers finding the sponsorship, bringing that to the team. And that's how they operate. Well, when you do that as the driver, when you sell a race, you got to give most of the money to the team. Yeah. So you're you're basically trying to take a commission off of what is a sales job, really. That's, that's really what we're talking about. Yeah. So it's frustrating, obviously, for people like me, for people like Ryan, for all of us that do this, where we're driving for a team who's sitting there saying, we're not making any money.
2: So why are you going to make any money?
0: And it's like, okay, so you're not making any money and I'm not making any money. And the sponsor's spending money. Well, then who's making any money here? Because it doesn't feel like it's any of us.
2: I got silent on that part. But uh, <laughs> no, one thing I've actually found out of having a job outside of racing is that I almost increase my value in the sport. Because then I don't have to take those checks. I don't have to say right. I only take driving jobs that pay, which is why I did the start and parks. Cause that was my only form of income. Yeah. And I was like anything, I don't care. I'll drive to Texas to start and park your truck for $500. I don't care. Um, but now I can pick and choose my opportunities and I can, I, I don't make monies on, on five of the seven races I'm doing this year.
0: Yeah, or
2: Six, or eight. I don't care though. I mean, I care. I'd love to make money on that, but I don't have to survive off of that now because I have a a normal job where I literally am in sales and I'm calling freaking 150 people a day.
0: And also you feel like by running these races, you're also increasing your value for what you're trying to do next year.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it just keeps your name out there. And that's why I'm sure that's part of why you're doing this. That's like I associate myself with Matt and that podcast is I'm increasing my value. Honestly, a lot of my partners probably get more out of just me mentioning their name on the podcast and me running around twenty eighth where they don't show us on TV any other week. Yeah. So <laughs> like outside of my social media, they probably get way more out of the podcast and all the other things. I think if you had all the choice in the world, I know you're
0: very outspoken,
2: but would you keep doing this if you knew it brought no value to your racing side?
0: Are you talking about the podcast? Yeah. Oh, God, I've tried to quit like eight times. I'm just kidding. Like, yeah. RJ, RJ does all the work. RJ, RJ does all the work. Hey, everybody, uh, spoiler alert, RJ does all the work here on the podcast. I just show up and hang out. Uh, for me, when I think about, like, what is the perfect version of, you know, my career moving forward, which is something that, like, Jeff Gluck brought up and uh, in some of the other interviews that I've done here lately, when people think about, like, my career moving forward as a 34-year-old. Um, I think realistically with the amount of sponsorship that I've been able to raise, I think a partial season for me is probably the best thing yeah. either that or running trucks or doing that like, and and potentially having a more funded driver be the primary driver for Martin's motorsports. Cause I feel like we have, we have built a really good team That is a 15th to 20th place Xfinity team. And that's really stinking hard to do. Uh, But at the same time to try to spread my sponsorship so thin to make it work. That's just, it's been really, really hard. And, And I just don't feel like that's the best option for us. A better option for me would be run fewer races, either in Xfinity or in trucks and, and and potentially just work as the manager for our team on the Xfinity side. I I think that's probably something that works out better for me from a middle health standpoint in the long run. You
2: know, what's funny is when uh, I found out that we're going to have a little bit more money than I thought next year. uh, One of my interns told me to be like, I think Tommy Joe said something the other day that he doesn't, he might not run the full season next year. You should call them. And I was like, might have to do that then (laughs) Um, we got, we might make these puzzle pieces fit.
0: Hey, look, I'd love to have all Ryan Ellis driving a 44. That'd be, look at this. We're breaking stuff on the podcast here. Yeah, No, it would be, I I agree with you though. It's, it's so hard to just commit to a
2: full season. And it's hard to watch guys like Vargas, um, like get pulled out of season or seats like Matt Mills, Jesse little, what are they? One or two races short of a full season. Right. Uh, And the teams have to do that kind of stuff to make it work from their end. Um, I just can't imagine being two races short of a full season in Xfinity, just to say that you did it. Um, that would break my heart to a thousand pieces. Right. But, it's like that. but
0: it's also Ryan, it's a credit to where the standings are right now. Right. So let's, let's take a look at the overall point standings for the Xfinity series when it comes to the driver points. And right now, realistically, and this is not me being mean about it, but it looks like Jesse and Matt are probably out of contention for the top 20 in the driver points right? So if you're doing that, you're going, all right, well, if it's close. They would probably leave them in there. It's just another chance to get some points. But if it looks like it's kind of already wrapped up and I'm saying this as the guy that's 20th right now and is racing my butt off, there's two or three guys behind me that I'm like, crap, we could lose it.
2: <laughs> it like, pays out to 20th, right? On the driver's side.
0: Yeah. And it only pays out to 20th. I know you've
2: probably mentioned
0: it a thousand times in your Yeah. So 21st <laughs> pays absolutely nothing. And 20th pays the money. So there's some guys like Brett Moffitt right now is like 22nd or 20, 21st. And like, he's going to ob- obviously run really well for the rest of the way. So we're looking at, and You're going, well, Josh Berry, uh, he's got a limited schedule. He'll drop out. Well, apparently he doesn't. Apparently he's going to run every race <laughs> for <laughs> somebody. It seems like it. So there are these projections that you have looking at this and BJ who we both adore. Yeah. And, and RJ. Creator, too. Yeah. yeah. We love yeah. BJ. If anything, he is very practical. And yeah. he looks at this and goes, there's no way that Jesse or Matt is going to leapfrog Tommy Joe and Josh Williams and Alex LeBay I'm and here. Josh Berry and, and all those guys that are stacked up from that 22nd to 17th range. Like, it's just not realistic. Yeah. How do you how do you feel about like
2: the Josh Berry thing? Like, I, I love Josh Berry. I love the story, but I feel like and this isn't like a slight at him at all. But I feel like there's so many Josh Berries out there that I've met in my life that I wish had those opportunities. And it almost like I wish the media instead of giving him that big of a spotlight would kind of spotlight all the other Josh Berries out there.
0: Yeah. And this is this is what you're talking about. Uh, this is the don't hate the player, hate the game. Absolutely. It's not Josh.
2: I I root for him every freaking race, but some of the most talented drivers I ever raced against, like their career stopped in legends cars.
0: Yeah. And like, I think about what's happened with Josh for Josh to get the opportunity that he's had. Think about how much time this has taken and really how many doors have been open to Josh to now finally get that chance, right? So like Josh would tell you, he is Uh, He's worked his butt off. Like I'm not taking anything. Josh Berry's shop, the junior motorsports late model shop is in the same. It's literally next door to our race shop, Martin's motorsports. Mm -hmm. So I see Josh Berry all the time going in there. He is an extremely hardworking guy and is without a doubt, one of the most accomplished short track racers of the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we're saying that on the front end. With that being said, he still got an opportunity to drive a late model for junior motorsports Yep, for like a long time. That doesn't mean that he didn't deserve it. He absolutely deserves it. Absolutely, yeah. But then it took multiple tries at junior motorsports and Xfinity, at running some occasional races in the truck series, uh, another race or two in Xfinity, and now finally this year getting another chance and it stuck, right? And this, this year it stuck. He did really well. Really, he didn't do very well at the beginning of this, but then was able to go to Martinsville, win a race, and it feels like it's kind of been downhill from there. Like, he's just been crushing it. Like, he gets in Jordan Anderson's truck, or, or in Jordan Anderson's car, top 10. He gets in uh, the Rackley truck, 11th, like back-to-back weeks, crushing it. Does he deserve that? One hundred percent deserves it. It means nothing in NASCAR or racing. It just at the same time, you and I look at this as racers, as guys that are in the cars, and I'm going, Oh my gosh, look at how much time that took to finally get that opportunity and how many doors had to open for that opportunity to finally come through. And, and in a way, that's encouraging that it finally happened. And also, in a way, it's a little discouraging because you're like, Oh my gosh, like, he did get an opportunity with junior motorsports in the Xfinity series. And it just, and it didn't stick the first time. And he got an opportunity to run trucks a couple of times and it, and it didn't stick. And then this time it started off not that good really. And it took like to kind of the back end of his races with junior motorsports for it to finally take off. And you and I are sitting here like, man, if I ever just had one race at junior one motorsports. One it's lap. Like, yeah. But what, what that just proved is that Josh is awesome. Yeah. And sometimes it didn't work. Like Ryan Priest is kind of a crazy scenario. Ryan Priest and Ross, where it worked. Yeah. Like there's absolutely a version of this where it doesn't work. Drew Herring,
2: like I feel like he's very yeah. Story. And that guy puts in. What does he? Uh, does he work on like the engineering side or sim yeah. side? Sim,
0: what gives sim guy. Yeah, sim guy for TRD.
2: So many talented guys that like, I feel like could be a Josh Berry and Josh Berry is exactly what NASCAR needs. I don't mean that in any negative way. Like that's the story NASCAR needs.
0: Dude. He is 100%. I don't know how many people have listened to the pod that have also gone to a race this year. Josh Berry has now taken the Rico Abreu crown, which is the loudest I've heard a crowd cheer for a driver in a lower series race. So, Rico Abreu held that title for a long time because Rico ran trucks with Thor Sport and it was consistently the loudest applause that anybody had in driver intros. That is now Josh Barry. Josh Barry has taken over the Xfinity series. We're here for he, it. He, he's the most popular driver in the Xfinity series. He might be the most popular driver in the sport outside of Chase Elliott right now, at least from the crowd reaction standpoint that I'm getting. So, Good for him. That's awesome because that's the kind of stuff that has to happen for you to keep getting those opportunities, potentially full-time. And he absolutely deserves it. Pro-Josh Berry podcast here. What we're doing is putting a lot of this into context because it had to be some crazy nights for Josh where he's like, oh my gosh, yeah." I felt like I got a chance and then I didn't really, and now I'm back at the late model shop for another four years.
2: Yeah, it's and like when the Ryan Priest and Ross thing happened, I was like, they're gonna start digging. They're gonna start looking at the Xfinity field. And be like, who else is running in this equipment? Like, yeah, like all of a sudden, like, it's gonna happen. We're gonna be set. And then I'm like, oh no, it's not going that direction. I'm
0: out. Right. <laughs> um, but, but think about the guys like over the last over the last five years. Let's think about those guys that popped off from kind of that group where you would go like, what? Like if I took you in a time machine back to 2016 and said okay ryan rj here we go uh in 2021 (laughs) matt de benedetto is going to be driving for the wood brothers (laughs) and it also uh alex bowman's going to be driving the 80 you know fired by tommy Baldwin. alex bowman is going to be the the replacement for jimmy johnson in the 48 like People would think you were the craziest person in the world. Like, there's no way that's ever going to happen. But that's a guy, Ross Chastain. Oh, by the way, he's going to take over the 42 car um, (laughs) at Chip Ganassi. So these are guys. Ryan Priest is a guy that got that chance where, uh, you know, obviously ran well in Xfinity, got bumped up, got an opportunity. It's happened. So we're not crazy for thinking that maybe maybe it could happen. And the only way that it does happen is if you just keep showing up.
2: Yeah. And I, I think it does take that one big opportunity. I, I, th- I don't think it can happen without it because all of those people got one big opportunity. I mean, I guess Matt might be the only exception to it because um, he never really had that. He just kept, I mean, unless you want to consider Bristol a BK racing really a moment, but that, I guess he made that more than anything, but he never really had, I mean, I guess what, 2012, he was driving for Gibbs, but nobody really remembers that now.
0: Right. And, and that was also, he was doing it at kind of the K and N level primarily yeah. is where that was happening. So, yeah, I would say probably that BK racing at Bristol top 10, that, that was a, I mean, obviously that was like a really striking moment when that happened and the emotion that he showed and kind of endeared himself uh, kind of to the, to the general population of NASCAR fans, I would say. Yeah. Do
2: you have like one moment that you wish that NASCAR team owners are like paid more attention to? like in your career, like, oh, this might get me no noticed or one more opportunity, and they're like, oh, nothing happened?
0: Honestly, Ryan, I would tell you that I don't feel like I've really had that standout, oh, my gosh, look at this. Look at what I did, plant my flag in the ground moment. I mean, I had Texas last year um, where I got a top 10. I would tell you, even in the moment, I was like, man, a couple of cars that I was beating all day just beat me on that restart. So, like, I, I don't feel like I just – overachieved by, by any, uh, you know, matter of the imagination. I I think probably my biggest accomplishment, uh, was finishing 11th for BJ uh, at Iowa, but 2017 and and that was such a wacky, weird race where a lot of guys got stuck a lap down, but I still have looked back on that result sheet and looked at the guys that we beat Mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, well I beat JJ Yaley. In a, in a good car. And I beat some guys in that list that I'm like, okay, well, those were actually pretty good cars with pretty good drivers in them. And at the time, I didn't have nearly the experience that I have now. So that's probably like my biggest accomplishment. But is that something that like an owner is picking up the phone and going, oh my God, I'll tell you, this is a story that I don't know that I've told this on the pod. Uh, BJ McLeod, when he first contacted me to drive for his team in 2017. Uh, they were like 37th in points. Yeah. I mean, it was way down there. And uh, I was out of a ride and and we had failed to make a race at Richmond uh, with an Xfinity car. And so BJ called me and just said, hey, you got your Xfinity license. Would you just drive my car instead? Uh, I don't know if you guys were going to come up here or not. And I said, sure, yeah, I'll drive it. The reason he called me was because of a lap in qualifying at a truck race in 2016, where it was the opening round of Martinsville truck qualifying. And I qualified on the stinking pole uh, at the moment. And then my brakes went to the floorboard and we wrecked. But it was kind of this spectacular thing where I ran like a 1991. Yeah. In qualifying, went to the top of the board and then crashed. He ran into the wall at 191. Yeah, that's what it felt like. And, and so that was a moment that to me like stands out in my career. Of like that was at the same time like my biggest accomplishment and also like my biggest disappointment within a split second later. And it wound up literally being the thing that BJ BJ told me the time when he called me. Really? <laughs> I remember this so vividly where he was like, he goes, man, anybody that can run a run 1991 at Martinsville uh, in qualifying for the team that size that you were on, he's like, that's really impressive. He's like, you, "You, I had had a really tough year in 2016. We wrecked a lot. He was like, how many of those were your fault? I was like, one. He's like, yeah. He's like, you just he goes, don't worry about it. You're going to drive for my team. It'll be fine. And we finished 31st, I think 28th, and then 11th. Wow. And I was only going to do three races for him. And the third race finished 11th. And he was like, the team was just beside themselves. And they were like, this is the greatest driver we've ever had in the history of the sport. And I got to hang with him for another three years because of it. So where did that all start from? A moment in 2016 where I where I really, where I crashed a truck. I remember still, that. That was a huge one.
1: Still a top uh, GIF on Twitter, by the way. Yeah. Still,
0: st- if you type in... NASCAR trucks. I saw you tweet this. <laughs> that is the number one gift that's going to pop up. So awesome. pretty impressive.
2: Yeah, that was a hard <laughs> one.
0: Yeah, I've never run Martinsville. I get to run that uh, in
2: October. I'm so stoked. Yeah, you'll have fun. I'm going to hit you on purpose. That's fine. Everybody else hits me. Are you like one of the guys that doesn't have fun on the track? Oh, I-
0: no, I stress out way too much now. Yeah, well, I everybody off on track, whether I'm having fun or not. Yeah, see, this is the difference between a guy that's (laughs) that's driving literally for himself. Yeah, yeah. And a guy that comes in in, and also in racing every week versus a guy that's coming in a few weeks a year. I'm having all the fun I can. Yeah, me and like I'll pull up next to people, rev my engine, flick them off out the
2: window, and if they don't do something, I'll swerve at them. Like I, I just don't care.
0: But but also, Ryan, you've got a reputation here, and really, I would be curious before I even say anything. What do you think your reputation is in the garage area? I'd like to
2: think that I'm someone that pops in, has fun with it. And that's like, just, I enjoy the moment, but I don't know. You tell me like you're talking about as a personality or like as a driver, both as a driver, I want like the mentality that they can bring me in obviously and take care of equipment outside of mid Ohio. Thanks Cody. Um, and like finish the race respectively in the top 18 or 20, um, I'm probably a little bit of a jerk off on the track in like a joking way. Um, but yeah, that's totally to you. I really don't know my opinion or my reputation.
0: Well, if anybody had any doubts about that, I think you got cemented at Darlington this year where I think you did a spectacular job. I mean, you finished right behind me. I think you finished what? 15th. Well, I had to put that in there, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, you fit, but at the same time, I felt like I had a better car than you. I hit you so hard on the back straightaway. You really did. I mean, I slid up right in front of you in fairness, but that's okay. That worked I mean, it worked good. out pretty good. But yeah, no, I felt like I really did have a better car than you. Um, and, and we had shown that earlier in the race. But what you did is clearly put yourself in a position over the course of the race to take advantage at the end of the race, which you did. I mean, you clearly had a great restart and beat everybody else that you were racing with basically everybody in front of you either had new tires or was faster than you to begin with
2: that is true no i mean you know it is we're running for a small team like if i don't make it to that restart with two or three to go it's a loss every single time And bj will probably rip my head off um and as you know with bj like a lot of people don't realize how he treats his drivers he's nicest guy that'll give you like the disappointed dad talk if something bad happens but it'll be like the first guy to give you a hug if something like if you get in a crash or something um at coda i've never been talked to the like this in my entire life in racing and that's saying something we were trash and uh practice and he came in there. there's like you need to get your and head on straight and show up tomorrow and take this seriously. I was like, what is going on? Like, I'm literally, I'm like, all I think about all day is racing. And he came in there. He's like, bro, like it made me so mad all night. I got asked to go to dinner with like Matt and Tanner and like, I never see them. And I was just like, dude, I can't go out. I'm like, I'm so mad. I'm just going to sit in my hotel room and just get pissed off literally until qualifying the next day. I was so mad that he just like yelled at me like a little kid in the holler. Um, but I asked like Jesse and, you know, Matt and I'm like, do they do, does he do that to you too? And I'm like, yeah, he does. But then like, if you get in an accident, PJ will be the first guy to hug you and be like, dude, it wasn't your fault. Like we'll figure this out. Um, he called me last week and he was like, we're X amount of dollars short or you're going to ride around all day at Road America. And I don't know if you saw me on Twitter, but I was like, I found 12 grand Saturday and Sunday of sponsorship to make sure that we're not riding around all day at Road America. So I hope we make the dang race because I invested a lot of time and money in that. (laughs) He'll he'll shoot you straight um, whether you like it or not.
0: Yeah. And and that's my impression of him every time that I ran for him. And, And I felt like there was a level of earned respect that I got with BJ kind of by the end of the time that I was with him where uh, he approached me like I was him. And he he said that at the competition meetings uh, that Uh we had where he was like, you know, we don't, yeah, I know. (laughs) Freaking weird. But basically like he was like, yeah, I'm just Tommy Joe, just do whatever. Mm -hmm. Which is really an empowering feeling when you're like, you feel like you really have the trust of of the guy whose car you're you're driving and, and the crew chief that you're working with on the weekend also has complete faith in you uh, to yeah. get the most out of it yeah like that that's a really rewarding feeling
2: yeah and he's he's been like that with me um most of the time as well like where he said like hey you know like ryan do your thing we trust you like if you want to drop to the back drop to the back if you want to stay in the front stay in the front obviously like daytona or talladega sure. have a plan for you but outside of that like he's always been so trusting and I, i'm sure you do but like I wish BJ would get an opportunity in a, like a Gibbs car. I don't see how it's ever going to happen because he's yeah. not the first guy to go and knock on those doors. He's just not that type of person. But I think he would just absolutely crush it. And he would be such a like an interesting personality for NASCAR fans if they really knew who BJ McLeod was outside of his spiked shoes and crazy hair. Um, he's like one of the best dudes you'll ever meet in the world.
0: He really is. And, and I think oddly and and we've talked to bj about this on the pod he is kind of becoming the the the, like deep cut favorite of a lot of nascar fans which is hilarious because it's a guy that never wants to talk to the media (laughs) or say anything
2: he hates the media i've been like hey bj uh fox sports wants to come shoot at your shop like they'll put your car in the background Blah, blah, And he's like, no, I'm like, it's national television. No, I don't want him here. I'm like, it's, you don't have to do anything the car. Will just be, I, no, I can't do it. And I'm like, all right, man, all right, whatever. Sorry. Sorry, I bugged you about it. Like, and I, like we were talking about, I'm surprised he did media day. Not like it's, he's, he's not like Paul Menard where he's not going to like in, interact with it. I can't see him singing or doing any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. But he's just a racer. Like, he just wants to show up, drive the car, be the best he can, and go home. That's it.
0: Yeah, and also from a business standpoint, he really does not let emotion get involved in it, right? So like that conversation that he had with you, the racer there, the emotional racer would be like, ah, yeah, we're a little bit short. I don't care. We need to go run good. No, he's going to call you up and go, look, hey, man, we need this money. (laughs) you got to figure it out.
2: It didn't make me mad because it was an understanding call. He was like, hey, Ryan, I know you're like working hard on it but if you don't get this, we're not doing it. And I was like, oh, I get that. Yeah, like it was a mutual understanding. He's like, I know you're working hard, but we're not racing unless you get to this number. I'm like, all right, here we go. 10, 15 grand in the next couple of days, let's go. Um, And, uh, you know, it's cool that, you know, with teams like that, that every dollar you find is going into the race team too. It's not like it's just going to end up in his back pocket
1: and you're not going to see a difference
2: from the back end. Right. Yeah,
1: exactly. So Tommy Joe, you talk about funded, Funded drivers in the uh, 44, possibly. Like if you were there, were to come along next season. I'm just like speaking, not no bias involved. But we've talked about this a lot. We've talked about like the Ryan pre situation, where he had money and went and took it. And while he was running with JD and kind of building up his reputation. He went and took a few races, you know, at Gibbs and did well, won the one races and then got an opportunity further in cup. We'll see where that leads him from now. But I mean, if I'm like a driver and I'm sitting here, we talk about how taking a few races, you know, at a taking, taking more races at a middle pack team. I can't remember how you had kind of phrased it before, instead of just throwing all your money you know at to, for a few big races which ryan was talking about saying he totally would do it as a driver i'm saying like no no bias involved but like if if a martin's motorsports seat was open like in the middle pack team or ryan sieg or uh even brandon brown's team i mean martin's motorsports in my opinion is like a great marketable team i mean your social media team does a great job with is that everything. brad thing i mean the th- not brad
0: exactly it's it's not it's kind of a combination of a few different people okay right. we'll talk every, yeah. yeah it's fine
1: yeah and you guys got i mean sponsored i feel like tommy joe i mean you do a great job of getting them out there i mean the team does you got a great paint scheme designer obviously uh ryan pastana does a great job mm-hmm. uh, with the schemes and i feel like it's a team that yeah you guys have been building yourself up um Towards the middle pack of the Xfinity series, where you guys are are right there, and for a driver to come in there and you know kind of, if, especially if it was a young driver, I know you put out a post like a while ago saying like you had tagged like a few young drivers yeah. who you would you know noticed you know if if they came along something like that, I feel like that would be a great place, just somewhere like that, even if it's not Martin's Motorsports. I'm just like being biased, not biased, partially biased, um, <laughs> but if they were to go, um, I feel like that would be a great destination for a driver. Um, to have that, to kind of build themselves as a reputation as a driver, to get a bigger opportunity. Like,
0: Well, what we're talking about there, RJ, is what I think, and it's going to be interesting to hear Ryan's take on this, a philosophical difference that I have with funded drivers. And by the way, that is not a derogatory statement. No, not at all. It's like, as Ryan has just talked about, Ryan, are you a funded driver? Yeah, like you have to go a funded driver. Yeah. Everybody's a funded driver, man. You got to go raise the funds to be a driver. You probably
2: might not be a funded driver, but everybody else is a funded
0: driver. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. So that's part of what we're doing. Okay. Now, some people naturally are going to have some benefits with this connections in business through their family, friends, whatever it is. Okay. But a funded driver, if you told me you had a million bucks in funding a lot of different ways we could do that, right? Like what I have a problem with and what I think is a mistake is like somebody that was on the pod earlier this year and we talked about it right after he got off the pod. It's somebody like Raphael Lassard, who's coming in with little experience, right? He has run late models, but he hasn't been in the top three series a lot taking a level of funding and taking it to GMS. That's a risk because you're putting yourself in a spot where, yeah, you're going to be in a really competitive truck, but you know, it's going to be for fewer chances. And what happens if it doesn't work out? It's like, well, you only got five to seven races worth of experience that year. I think a better spend of the money for somebody that young is to go to a team like ours and just get the reps just get time like being in a last place car never really does a lot for you that is true right you you're not really unfortunately learning a whole lot there when you're in a competitive car that can run around the top 15 top 20 you are racing to stay on the lead lap the restarts matter pit stops matter the things that you're doing matter. So you're getting all of those reps. You're learning from guys that have probably been on bigger teams, but now they're maybe a little bit of a step down, right? Smaller teams, but but still people with experience. And you're racing around guys that are veterans. Like in that same spot on the grid that I'm talking about, that 15th to 20th, you would literally be racing against like Brett Moffat, Ryan Sieg, me, Josh Williams, Alex LeBay. You're talking about guys that have been around for a long time. So You're going to get that experience. And now in year two, after you get 33 reps, I think the thing to do would be, yeah, go to RCR. Yeah, go to Gibbs. Yeah, go run six races at something like that when you've got the necessary experience to really put yourself in a position to take advantage of it, which is what I've talked about. That's what Ryan Priest did. He ran a full year for Johnny Davis was really comfortable with the cars and then said, all right, I'm taking my shot. And people forgot he even drove the Johnny car.
2: They're like, oh, yeah, he's basically a rookie. And they're like, he did a full season.
0: Yeah. They literally didn't even know on television that he had run the season before, which is embarrassing. All right. I just mean that it's proof that it won't hurt you to run that mid-pack car. No, not a bit, not a bit. And so Ryan, when he stepped up and got that opportunity, he was ready. Like he had already, he already knew the cars. He knew the tracks. He knew exactly what he needed to do. And he was able to take advantage of it. Now, he still had to go do it. And like we just talked about, Ryan, it's. do you think Josh Berry wasn't ready the first time he got an Xfinity car? Yeah, he was ready. It's yeah. just sometimes it just doesn't happen. No, and so the fact that it did happen for Ryan is amazing. But I credit that more so to the fact that he had an entire year before that to kind of understand the car that he was getting into when he actually got his big shot,
2: he'd say the same thing. And I think everybody's different, but like with the Lassard example, obviously I'm not as familiar with his background. Um, it kind of depends on how, how much professional racing you've really had. Um, how much racing have you had before you like got into the top three series of NASCAR?
0: And, not, and really, not a whole lot, right? So I got into truck series and ARCA after I had basically run about thirty late model races. I, I hadn't run a whole lot of. You, was, I, I hadn't you run had a had whole lot. Idea how you guys did. Yeah, which is, which is really stupid, the fact that we even did it that way. It's not stupid. But, it's different. well, and here, here's where I make the argument, right? And this is going to be the, what I'm going to use here as a weird example is like the Quinn Half example. All right. So everybody likes to pile onto Quinn Half for running in the Cup Series when he doesn't have enough, quote unquote, starts at the lower levels. That's fine. To me, that's low hanging fruit. But what we know here, the three of us talking on this podcast, is that nobody in the Cup Series is looking at the lower divisions and going, ooh, who looks like a hot prospect?
2: Yep. They say, hey, who looks like they got a big wallet?
0: That's it.
2: Our that's, yeah. that's what's happening. Anyway, mean, what? that that's just how it is.
0: That is just how it is. So this idea that like, oh, well, if Quinn Half had run two more years with Johnny Davis and had done well, then maybe he'd have gotten an opportunity. No, he would not And the thing is, honestly, if you've got a set amount of funds and you're only going to do this for a few years, if you're Quinn and the goal is get to cup and you've got your money, go to cup. Honestly, like do what they tell you to do and then go to the cup series. Like that doesn't make him a bad guy. What we would sit here and probably say is that realistically the rules need to get tweaked to where that can't really happen. Yeah. It's it's probably not a good look for the sport as a whole that you could only run like eight races at the lower levels and and get up there. That's not good, but is that against Quinn? Like, no. And so that's the same weird kind of logic that my dad used when we ran trucks the first time. He was like, crap, how much money are we spending on late models? Yep. He's like, let's just run a damn truck. And it's like, oh, well, and we had people that said the same thing. Guys on my late model team, like, oh, he's not ready to drive a truck. What do you mean? How, he hasn't run on a radial tire. Oh, he doesn't have enough experience or whatever. You know what? I figured it out. Yeah.
2: I didn't even notice the difference. Yes. I was like, oh, it's just a little different, I guess.
0: It's a little different. You just drive the thing and you figure it out. So this idea that like you, oh, man, guys don't deserve to be in NASCAR. And I've heard Kyle Busch, and I will say this, and this is a little controversial. Here I've we heard, well, no, I've, I've seen <laughs> Kyle Busch. I've seen these other guys that go, oh, well, you've never won a late model race. You don't deserve to be up here at the NASCAR series. Okay, Great. Let's call up all the guys that have won late model races this year and let's see how many team owners have called them to ask them to drive their cars at the top three series. It's not happening. Nobody's doing that. So the world that those guys are living in that are kind of right now, like, and this is really weird. This is, by the way, speaking of making you feel old, Kyle Busch is now like old guard in the cup series, <laughs> which is crazy. I'm giving it to Newman. Okay. But there's guys that are a part of this old guard that were really the last group of guys that existed when NASCAR still operated on a team funding first basis, where like the sponsors went to the teams that were established. They wanted to sponsor a car. They told the team, find me the best driver. That's what happened with FedEx over at the 11 car. They said, Who's the best driver you can get? It was between JJ Yaley and Denny Hamlin. Denny Hamlin got the seat and has been there ever since, right? So think about Kyle Busch was there before that, (laughs) Or, or actually it was right after that, I believe. So it was like, it was a very, very different time in our sport. And because those guys have just been in these top caliber rides for a really long time, I'm not really saying anything negative about them. It's just that the sport underneath them, the ground has really shifted there quite a bit. So, like, nobody's calling Bubba Pollard to run a truck race. That's not happening because he's doing well. Nobody called Josh Berry. Dale Jr. literally had to make that seat for him and, like, go get the sponsorship and do the whole thing just for Josh to get an opportunity. And this is a guy that's won every late model race there is to win. So it's just not happening. So we can get really upset at these guys like Garrett and me and whoever that you want to disqualify from being in a series because they haven't run enough at the lower levels. And it's like, guess what, man? You either get the money to come up here and do it or you don't. And that's really it. Like, that's all it comes down to. And all we can realistically judge people off of as the audience, as competitors, is what do they do when they get their opportunities?
2: Yeah, performance related to equipment.
0: Yeah. Yeah, relative performance to the equipment. So when I look at a guy like Ryan Ellis, I see a guy that genuinely, over the course of time, has kind of outperformed the car that he's been in. Well, that's where you get my respect. Uh, each and every time like i'll tell i'll tell you a guy that i feel like has made a couple of big leaps here in the last few times that i've raced against him is blaine perkins in the 23 car first time he got in that car i think it was at phoenix yeah it was tough i mean he was he was really struggling and and
2: and i get it that's why i know
0: yeah and it's like i get it man that's your first time in an xfinity car it was probably really overwhelming and then the next time a little bit better, like in Atlanta. Okay, a little bit better. And now this time at Pocono, he passed me. It was driving off. And I was like, damn it, I should be beating him. But there is a level of kind of like getting adjusted to yeah. the pace of the game at there's, this level. There's no testing with the teams that
2: they're working with. So yeah,
0: there's, there's no practice. Yeah,
2: there's no practice. That's true, too. The only gripe I had with the Quinn Huff thing was just learning the race craft and learning like i know obviously it stands out the texas incident um just like how to come to pit road on a green like stuff like that you you don't want to learn that at the cup series level you can learn <laughs> it at the infinity series level and the truck series level and you can be like ah he hopefully doesn't screw that up again but like when you screw that up at like the cup series level that's when i'm like i wish he had done like eight or
1: ten more races but outside of that yeah like if you're a little off pace or anything like that Exactly. And that's an argument we'll continue here in a second, but just wanted to note on one of our sponsors for this show. We talked about him a few weeks ago. That's Moink Meats. So delicious. I love it. And you will love it, too. So you need to get Moink right now. You know that the best bacon, the best steak, the best chicken, and the best Samuel E. won't come from the grocery store. You'll only find it on the family farm and caught by independent Alaskan fishermen. That's why you need Moinkbox.com. So join the Moink movement today. Go to moinkbox.com slash believe right now, and listeners of this show will get free bacon for a year with every box order. That's free bacon for a year. Free bacon, man. Free bacon. That's music to my ears. So one year, the best bacon you'll ever taste, but for a limited time. So that's spelled M-O-I-N-K box.com slash believe. That's moinkbox.com slash believe. So make sure to get that today.
0: Uh, we're, we're sitting here talking about Quinn and, and really just – changing seats at the cup level and, and the level of experience, you know, I, I feel like Quinn opened himself up to a lot of the criticism that he got. And, and he knew this getting into it. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, when the ride that he took over was Landon Castle's ride, who was a fan favorite guy uh, known in the cup series for kind of being a lovable underdog and, and really a good driver and a really well-respected guy. And then he gets removed from a seat for a guy that only has, I think it was like six national series starts leading up to that. You kind of open yourself up for that level of criticism. Right. Yeah. And
2: I guess I have like a hard time relating to this. This this isn't like a humble brag or anything, but when I got into NASCAR, I'd already, I'd already been racing for, I've been racing for 27 years now and I'm 31. Um, so like I've been racing for so long. I like legitimately was not nervous for like my first Xfinity, my first truck start. I was only, I wasn't nervous for cup. The Only time I was ever really nervous was when I knew I had to make a race. Um, so I don't really have like a perspective of a driver in this standpoint. I just have a perspective of like somebody that's been in the sport and like watching these kids come in. I wouldn't want to put myself in that position personally, but I get what you're saying. Cause in a way I kind of, I did that to myself with the 33 car. I was like, why would I turn down a cup series ride? If I can go out there, even whether I'm ready or not, I could die literally tomorrow knowing I raced in the cup series. And I don't know if I was technically ready or not. I don't think I had the racecraft I needed um, in terms of like running lap traffic correctly and stuff like that, that I wish I had going into the second to last race of a, a cup series season. But um, I think sometimes the only way you can learn is to just put yourself in that situation and figure it out. I mean, preferably not at the cup series level, but the cup series is a jump in itself. It's a bigger jump than anything into the truck or Xfinity series. Everybody's good there and nobody makes mistakes. Even when it looks like they're making mistakes, they're really not.
0: Yeah. And, and the depth of the field there, obviously, I mean, the worst guy in the field is still a hundred something start level person uh, at, at the top levels for the, for the most part. So Yeah, uh, I can see it. And when you did that, when you ran that 33 car, how how out of place did you feel?
2: Not, I really didn't. I don't know if I just convinced myself I was like, just meant to be there or whatever. But the only thing that was weird was like walking to the car and everybody's like, who is that guy? What is, what is, oh my God, he's getting in a car. Like Driver (laughs)
0: driver interest. Yeah.
2: No, like. I don't know. I never felt out of place. I guess because I knew people, obviously in the Cup Series. Like I was parked next to like Timmy and Matt's racing and stuff like that. So like, and you race, you know, you race against all these guys in the Xfinity Series. Like you're looking like, oh, Kevin Harvick, I raced against Kyle Busch, raced against Tim. The only one that was weird, I guess there's two, was no, just Jeff Gordon and Tony Stewart. Like when they came by me, I legitimately dragged the fence in practice at Phoenix trying to get out of Jeff Gordon's way. Because I was like, I am not wrecking Jeff Gordon in his second to last race of his cup series career, my hero growing up. So I literally was like, oh, knock the fence down, just trying to get out of his way down the straightaway. Um, but like, I don't know, walking through the garage and all that, I, I didn't, I didn't feel out of place. I, I just knew that the only thing I, if I made the news at all that weekend, or if I got any TV time, it'd be for something bad. I just wanted to just stay out of the way, which is really all you can do in that kind of stuff.
0: So I was on um, I was on the morning drive with uh, Bagley and Pete Pistone, and we were talking about what is a quote unquote Cup Series resume. Do you feel like you have a Cup Series resume? God, boy, that's a good question. Why did you do that to
2: me? Um, I feel like I. I can't. You can't say things without sounding like overly cocky, right? Um, I feel like I'm deserving of a chance. I don't necessarily know if that means who has a Cup Series resume. I guess is it, at the end of the day, like if I were to think of who should be in the Cup Series, you should have won a truck or an Xfinity Series championship. Period. But that just doesn't happen anymore because it's not all the equipment's the same. And uh, like, did Larson win a championship? I really don't know. He did not okay well obviously he's doing okay um but i think if you had success in like a professional level or if you've had success and when you've had the opportunity in the past like i had success in grand am we almost won the championship we raced door to door with andy lally um in grand am a whole season and that's what gave me the confidence to know that i can get to nascar and be like okay i've, I've raced a lot of these guys before and um start on road courses and feel successful but I don't know. I guess on like a resume wise, if I were to look at my resume, I'd be like, he shouldn't be in NASCAR. Like if I just looked at my NASCAR side, but I think you could say the same for a lot of people. Like did Matt, if you looked at his resume and just where he finished, would you be like, he should be in there? No.
0: Especially um, before he got the opportunities that he's had the last few years. Yeah. Yeah. Even at TMG, like, which is where he got hired out of,
2: you'd be like, ah, I mean, I guess you could give him a chance, but like deserving of a cup series, full-time right maybe like we know how talented he is but if you literally just look at statistics i don't think so and i don't i just think it's so hard to put in the box like that it might not have been 15 or 20 years
0: ago but it right. is now who is the next guy who is the next matt de benedetto who's the next guy right now that's in the xfinity series and is the guy that is kicking butt and nobody really notices but everybody knows he's awesome look
2: this so. up. NASCAR.com. Who's running in the Xfinity? <laughs> you know, we don't even see the guys in the front. I just wave at them every couple laps. Right, dude.
0: I, I'm not. Gonna, I don't want to be that because fan. that because Matt was not an obvious one, right? And and this is you and know, I've talked about our history before. When when Ryan and I really got to know each other it was 2014. I was doing starting parks. Ryan was doing starting parks. Matt De Benedetto was doing starting parks. And Matt really got his break, which I consider the first break in several breaks that Matt got in his career Thousand, yeah. when he basically was the starting part guy, but was consistently out qualifying the best car quote unquote for Curtis key in the Xfinity series in 2014. Like I believe it was Josh wise that was driving the races, the full races. And Matt was like the starting part guy and Matt kept out qualifying <laughs> Let me wanna feel like uh you know, I want to know how big
2: of an idiot I am, I turned that ride down. The whole time <laughs> starting park thing. Because I had a sponsor for two races. I'm like, well, I then I can't race at all. So it doesn't make any sense to do that. But that like I mean, obviously statistically I don't think it would have happened anyhow, but could have been me. But back to your question. I it's so hard because like I have so much faith in a lot of these guys. But like, if you were to put in that context of who is the next Matt Benedetto, like somebody that deserves that opportunity, that people just would not expect. I mean, it'd, it'd be funny if I said BJ because I kind of feel like it should be. But yeah. look at the guys like a Bailey Curry, Weatherman, you like, all of you guys outperform, and Timmy's never really had a chance. Like, yeah. I don't know how talented Timmy Hill is. No, nobody does because he runs the same
0: stuff like every single week. Hey, so I think about, it's, it's, I think about the chance that he got with a Gibbs. Lease motor, great pit crew, tires, the whole thing. It was at a Bristol race. Everybody can look this up. It was Bristol 2019. I Hatori effort. It was the Hattori effort. Yeah, yeah. Now, that yeah. was one of Carl's cars, but that was a Gibbs motor, Gibbs pit crew, Gibbs engineering, full thing. Timmy he'll finish in the top 10 at the Bristol race there. Like so it's hard to say because I think Timmy could be one of those guys, but he's just never, yeah. he,
2: he's, I think he's almost trained himself out of racing so much, driving the stuff that he's tr- driving, you know? Yeah. And to focus on racing when you're focused on, if I crash this, I don't have a job.
0: Yeah. Um, Especially with the truck team. Yeah, definitely. But if I had to pick one, I don't know. I want to see Clements or somebody get a ride. Just. Yeah. Like, I-, I think Jeremy's um, definitely a guy that I would look at. I think right now, Gun to my head, I had to pick one guy to move up to the Cup Series. I'm probably picking Brett Moffat.
2: I, I think that's just what that I don't know the R's our like, deal is is an opportunity that's so high it's almost above the Matt D'Amore tier in my
0: opinion. It, and it is, and yeah. you're right. So yeah, if I start looking at that, that kind of comp where like if I'm trying to pick the comp to Curtis Key (laughs) in the current version of the Xfinity field, I don't know that that exists. (laughs) I don't mean that's
2: what I was going to say. That that was what I was going to say.
0: Yeah. And Brett, I just think, has proven himself time and time again. As as I bring up to RJ, the way that I look at this stuff is who are the 40 best people in the world? And to me, Brett Moffitt has clearly established himself as one of the 40 best people in the world at doing this. And so the fact that he's not out there on Sunday is a little weird because he's definitely one of the 40 best drivers in the world. Just like it was obvious that Ross was one of the 40 best in the world. And it was obvious that Matt was one of the 40 best in the world at doing it.
2: I'm still looking at this list. It's it's hard to pick somebody, man. But like, I, I think it's so easy to say, but I truly believe that if you've stuck around – In a mid pack back market car, there's a reason because those guys have to be the most frugal with their money. So there's a reason that those guys are continually in those cars and getting opportunities with little money, sometimes no money. A guy like
0: JJ Yaley, who is consistently leaned on to get cars into races and and things like that. And obviously,
2: Landon's one of those guys. Like, I think we all love to see those types of people get rides. And I'm sure you can go back to the truck series and find just as many, but. I think anybody that sticks around in a mid-pack car deserves that opportunity. And Johnny Davis' guys always prove that like they come out anybody that comes out of that campus talented, I feel like, when they're there for a full season. Because Johnny will literally
0: kill you if you wreck one of his cars continually. <laughs> and and I'm right now in the middle of a battle and with, with a guy that how many times have I said it on the podcast, RJ, that I think Landon Castle is Probably the guy that I would call first if anything ever happened to me. Sorry, Ryan. No offense to you. I, thought I was number one. You know, well, you might be now because I don't think Landon's getting out of the car that he's in. But, <laughs> um, you know, at this point, you know, I felt like Landon was probably the most untapped guy. He was just sitting on the sidelines for like a year mm-hmm. there, not doing anything. And he was the guy to me that stood out. And now it's funny because he's the guy that I'm racing for a top 20 spot in the driver points, uh, which, yeah, he's, I think he's like 20 points. Really? ahead. No, says he ever flicked you off. Oh, has he ever flipped me off? Yeah.
2: Landon? No. Landon's pretty, me off last race. And I was like, I don't think I've ever seen Landon ever
0: flip anybody off. <laughs> See, <laughs> but I, I really believe this now. Landon and me and Josh and Alex and all these guys that are right around that 20th spot. I think all of us have a lot of respect for each other at the same time. I think all of us kind of understand that kind of the contenders here have emerged and really (laughs) only two people are getting paid. (laughs) So it's, it's probably going to get a little testy at some point over the course of the year. I got into him in like the second to last
2: corner. I think I was getting, I got ran into like Riley Herbst or somebody and like, I was losing my brakes, and he just like flipped me off, like down the whole straightaway. And I was like, Oh, and then Riley got into me the next straight to it. So I just door banged Riley, flicked him off. And I was just taking my anger out from like the <laughs> nicest guy in the world, Landon, flicking me off. <laughs> like, I I love Landon. He was just like, oh, you're a good dude. You know, I was having a lot of fun. I'm like, I didn't think you actually flipped anybody off, man. I feel really bad that like one of my good friends was actually that mad. It wasn't like a friendly one. It was like, I'm going to wreck you after the. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and that race was crazy. I mean, you know, you talk about all the incidents you had there uh, with other drivers and then the one with Cody on the last lap. and you know for people uh, that weren't able to watch your recent podcast, not other racing podcast with Cody where, he announced on that show that you will have a cup ride with the team at Kansas. and you were talking about how Rick had offered you, uh, basically, Xfinity at New Hampshire or Cup at Kansas. You wanted Xfinity at New Hampshire, but you went and chose Cup at Kansas uh, instead. Well, actually, wasn't your choice. Um, in a way, it was, but they really worked it out to where you would get that Cup at Kansas race. I mean, I know you thought that Xfinity at New Hampshire would be more more competitive, more competitive chance in that 17 car that's done very well this year. But it's just the gap, right? The gap of you know from the Xfinity series field to the Cup Series field. Uh, from front to back is very, very different uh, in the Cup Series than the Xfinity Series, so I totally understand uh, your backing there. Um, But yeah, Ryan Ellis will drive the Cup Series race, uh, fall Cup Series race at Kansas uh, for Rick Ware Racing. Uh, So definitely very excited to see you in the car. Great opportunity for you, like you said, your sponsors. Uh, You're kind of just marketing yourself as a driver for next year, Um, because you said you have about 15, 20 races sponsorship you could potentially get in the Xfinity series uh or really you know truck series xfinity series anything uh just run 15 to 20 races next year would be great uh see i'm rambling on here because we had some extra recording uh at the end but unfortunately it was lost uh zoom had a breakdown last night uh you know i guess that happens sometimes uh which is where we record uh most of the time so had a little breakdown we went long as well so for those of you that are still tuned in right now thank you very much for tuning in uh it's been an awesome episode having ryan ellis on the show and hopefully we can do some stuff in the future we've been thinking about you know they have their own podcast ryan ellis Matt benedetto not called not another racing podcast you know obviously we here do the drivers meeting myself and tommy joe martins so hey who knows we might do some collaborations uh in the future but ryan's been great um awesome to have him on here great guy he's he's supported my account for a while on instagram um and glad to finally be able to chat with him have him on uh, my podcast uh, really really awesome uh, experience to have him on here so thank you guys for tuning in thank you to bet online thank you for moik uh, for supporting this thank you to the believe podcasting network as well and it's been another great episode of the drivers meeting podcast episode 35 is in the books and we'll see you next week we got some spicy guests potentially coming on uh in the next few weeks so uh hopefully everyone's excited i'm excited we'll see you guys